Good morning, friends. Thanks again for worshiping with us today. Zach and Bree, we're so grateful for you guys. Thankful for your heart for Jesus and your willingness to lead us into worship today. Um, friends, I want to jump in pretty quickly here. And so I just want to pray for us. Um, and in advance, really the only thing I want to say is open up your heart this morning to what God might want to say to you. There's a really good chance that the story that we're exploring might challenge you, um, or even if you understand it, you may not necessarily see its relevance to your life today. But my, my hope and my prayer is that the presence of Jesus, um, the, the different powers that are at work in our life, that ultimately the power of His grace would rise in our hearts and in our minds, and that we would see Jesus available, willing, and able to impact even the most difficult circumstances we find ourselves in. And so let's pray in faith this morning, believing not just that God has something for us in His Word in a general sense, but that God specifically has something that He wants to say to you and to me today. And so, Lord, we come before you right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your living presence, that you are with us, that your role, your, your heart for us is that we would know God, that we would be strengthened and encouraged in our journey in this life. Thank you that you teach us, that you comfort us, and that you challenge us for our benefit. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you make this word alive in our lives today? Jesus, we choose to believe that you are who the Bible says you are, that you are the perfect Son of God, that you have come to this earth in power, full of grace and truth, changing lives, securing our salvation, and inviting us in to right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we purpose to humble ourselves and to hear from you today. God, we look forward to what you want to say to us, and we're trusting and believing that you will speak, and we will hear, and we will be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, I want to start by reading you a story this morning. Um, you know, I don't typically open a sermon with a long portion of Scripture, but it's a gripping story. And in, instead of me just slowly unpacking it as we go through the service, I want this story to be just very present with you right at the top. And so then we'll talk through some things that I, I believe God wants us to see this morning. But let yourself just be immersed in this story. And so Jesus, at the very end of Mark chapter 4, had just been asleep in a boat traveling across the Sea of Galilee when a huge storm had arisen. And the storm was so terrifying that seasoned veterans, seasoned fishermen who knew those waters were scared for their lives. And Jesus wakes up. They wake him up. They're afraid. And he, he calms the storm. The wind and the waves obey him, and the disciples are blown away by it. And so we pick up right from that point where Jesus has just calmed the storm. And this is now Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. 
And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Verse 8, For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Wow, what a story. Um, Mark is full of some pretty incredible stories from the life of Jesus. This has to be one of the most fascinating ones. Um, and honestly, to modern readers, it has to be one of the weirdest ones. It's such a strange story, but I believe it is essential. And so friends, I really hope you'll hang in there with this challenging, strange, confusing story, because I believe it teaches us a lot about power. And very specifically, I want to talk to you about three kinds of power this morning. The power of evil, the power of grace, and the power of fear. The power of evil, the power of grace, and the power of fear. So let's check this out. First of all, the power of evil. Friends, it's important, and it's something that just leaps off the page in this story, that the presence of evil is real. Now, I don't know that that's something that in our day and age, we really are honest with ourselves about. And so kind of my first warning to you this morning as we talk about the power of evil is be careful not to minimize the presence of evil. Um, this particular story and really the Gospels in general, they challenge us by putting a clear focus on the presence of evil and the reality of the supernatural it's almost taken as a given throughout the Gospels. For example, just in Mark's Gospel here that we're reading um, this past week, seven different times we see references to demonic spirits. Four times there are specific stories where Jesus encounters a demonic spirit and sets someone free from that spirit. He casts it out. Um, this story is one of those four. Three other times, though, there are just general references to the fact that both Jesus and his disciples were regularly setting people free from demonic influence. Um, this might be unusual to us. This might make us uncomfortable. It's unfamiliar, this idea of the supernatural. Um, maybe we've even been, been rubbed the wrong way by some people's like crazy superstitions. Um, one of my favorite Michael Scott quotes, I think might actually capture how a lot of us feel. Um, he famously said, I'm not superstitious, I'm just a little stitious. I've always loved that line, it cracks me up. But I, I think many of us approach the supernatural world, spiritual matters, with skepticism. 
Um, and because the ways we have been exposed to the supernatural is through, you know, stories, movies, um, or maybe just kind of crazy people that, I don't know, it might make it hard for us to believe and accept these things. But, but Jesus, the Gospels, don't give room for that. The, the Gospels say very clearly that there is a very real spiritual world. And so, friends, I want to kind of invite you to grapple with the fact that, that it can be easy for us at times to minimize the presence of evil and the supernatural, but it's important that we recognize that it's at work in our day and age. Um, now, I, I don't want to get all controversial. I want to list some things. And I'm not saying that all of these things necessarily mean that there's always um, demonic activity involved. But I do want to highlight to us and make it crystal clear that we face very real evil, that there are people in the grips of spiritual struggles and bondage in our day and age. And so I just want you to consider some of this. Um, first of all, addiction. Man, addiction is a massive issue in our society. And you know, we think about demonic possession, we think of someone that's not, not in full control of their behavior. Well, man, an addicted personality is someone who maybe they've exposed themselves even willingly at times to a substance that could harm them, but it's reached a point where it's beginning to get out of their control. They're enslaved to it. And so we have people enslaved to, to drugs and to alcohol. I mean, goodness sakes, we even refer to alcohol as spirits. And so addiction is a very real issue. Um, mental health. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for what we've learned. I'm grateful for the education system that we have. I don't want to diminish any of that. I just simply want to say that there are a lot of mental health problems that in our day and age, we're able to, to label and identify, maybe even help some people in practical ways. But these are things that absolutely would have been considered uh, demonic in nature in, in past history. Things like schizophrenia, even bipolar, depressive, suicidal thoughts where I almost can't even escape my own thoughts. Um, abusive behavior. I mean, friends, good night. It's, it's almost impossible to pick up the news and read some of the things that happen. And, and sadly, I think sometimes when we, when we see these extreme stories in the news about abusive behavior, behavior we distance ourselves from them. We almost imagine them to be, to be fake. But there are people trapped in the reality of inhuman behavior, what one human being will do to another human being. Most usually people that we're supposed to be able to trust, yet they wreak havoc on those that they're called to love. And friends, the sad reality is, is this abusive cycle passes on as all too often victims of abuse grow to become abusers themselves. It's bondage. It's a devastating cycle. Identity crisis. Man, I, I'm not going to open up that whole can of worms, but I just want to say like, like our country is grappling. People are grappling with identity crisis, uh, uncertain of who they are, uncomfortable with their own identity, um, not feeling at home in their own skin, and it's caused damaging effects in people's lives. I mean, we see this in this story. There's this sense of confusion. I don't know if you noticed it, but as we were reading through the story, when Jesus encounters this man, there's almost this sense of confusion. When is he talking to the man specifically? When is he talking to the demons that are ravaging his life? Um, the grammar changes from he to they, almost intermittently, like you, there's no rhyme or reason to it. There's this confusion. Friends, in our day and age, there absolutely are, are spiritual forces that cause us to battle, to struggle, to be in bondage. And we've got to be honest about that reality. Jesus is honest about that reality. The, the scripture makes it clear that there are things that we face that attach themselves to us at a deeper level than maybe we care to admit. And so friends, we, we cannot minimize the presence of evil. 
I also don't believe we should minimize the power of evil. Now, I'm, I'm not wanting to promote fear here. In fact, I'm going to talk later about the power of fear a little bit. Um, but we shouldn't minimize the power of evil. And this story doesn't let us minimize it. Consider this. This story is very clear about the seriousness and the destructive nature of these evil spiritual forces. Consider this, this man who is suffering immensely, and he's, he's wreaking havoc. Um, he's currently living in the wilderness. He's naked. It's kind of implied in Mark's version of the story when we find out later when he's healed that he's clothed. But Luke's gospel, when he tells the story, makes it very clear. This man has been naked for a long time, and he lives out in the wilderness. He lives among the tombs. Um, people have been trying to figure out what to do with him. He's been, he's been bound. They've tried to Im- imprison him just to get some sense of control. They've put him in shackles and in chains, um, and, and he's broken out of those. And so now this man is, is living in the wild, living amongst the tombs. No one could subdue his strength. And so not only is he kind of wreaking havoc in the community around him, but he's in absolute turmoil. The scripture told us that out there in the wilderness and amongst the tombs, he was cutting himself and he was crying out in agony day and night. The power of evil was real and destructive and damaging. I mean, friends, I, I don't think it's just um, you know, a, liter, a, liter, a literary device to say he was living amongst the tombs. He, he literally, the, the evil forces in his life had brought him to a place where he was living amongst the dead. Friends, that is, that is a reality for far too many people where we feel stuck, overwhelmed. The people around us can't necessarily help us. We don't feel safe. We feel trapped. Even repeating things we don't want to repeat or do in bondage to pornography, alcohol, drugs, wishing our behaviors could change, wishing some of the thoughts that ravage us that we could be set free of them. The power of evil is real. And to bring the point home, I mean, the story gets, it's strange already, but man, doesn't it just take a strange for the weirder when as Jesus is talking to these demons that, that have ravaged this man. They're called legion. Legion. It, it means like thousands. In fact, I think you could make a really strong argument that there were about 2,000 demons ravaging this man's life. Um, we see that because they say, if you're going to make us leave this man, please send us somewhere. Don't just send us out into the abyss. What about those pigs over there? And it seems so strange that Jesus would approve this request and let these demons, yes, leave this man and set him free, but why would he let them go and, and attack um, and attach themselves to these pigs? I believe at the very least, Jesus was trying to make the point crystal clear that the presence of these evil spiritual forces had one intent, and that was to destroy It was to destroy life. And just as this man was living among the tombs, when those demons go into the pigs, those 2,000 pigs, what happens immediately? They run off the cliff and they're destroyed in the sea. As Dr. David McKenna would say in his commentary about this passage, one undeniable reality that I hope that we can see is this that the devil is never content until he has destroyed the last vestige of the image of God in the human personality. Friends, I want to read that again. The devil is never content until he has destroyed the last vestige of the image of God in the human personality. Um, you know, part of me feels like this could be a three or four part series. I mean, I'd love to go back and, and just unpack the way the devil and demonic forces have been after the human race from the beginning. I, I just want you to consider how the story of, of this earth came about. 
After God creates a world that he is happy with, that's beautiful, that he's celebrating, the pinnacle of his achievement is when he forms man and woman. And there's Adam and Eve, and and God says about them, he pays them the highest compliment because he made them in his image. And what does our enemy do? At the dawn of creation, he immediately, furiously, as the enemy of God, attacks his creation and specifically wants to damage the very people that God loves and has made in his image. And so many of the things that the enemy does, I would actually, I would just say all of the things, Jesus says that, all of the things that the enemy does is try to ravage and destroy the very people that God loves. And he tries to sink his his claws in anywhere that he can. Where is a particular weakness or a struggle? And let me see if I can fuel that. Let me see if I can put more fuel on that fire. If I can make that person feel stuck in that place to their ultimate destruction. David McKenna, you know, uses this description of the devil not being content till he destroys every vestige of the image of God and man. Well, Jesus simply put it this way. In John 10.10, the first half of that verse, he says plainly, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's exactly what happens with these pigs. They belong to somebody. The enemy attaches to them. They're gone. They lose their pigs, and they're destroyed in the sea. God allowed the enemy's desire to be fully exposed. This wasn't just some weirdo living in the tombs who should be cast out from society. This was a beloved man who bore the image of God, whose life was being ravaged and destroyed by the work of evil. And so, friends, there's one last thing I want to highlight when we talk about the power of evil, and I think it's of utmost importance to us. Um, If we're going to be honest about the fact that evil is present and powerful in our day, then we must also be honest about the fact that many of our modern solutions leave much to be desired. And the reason is this. In all of our progress as we've moved forward, we fail to help people that are in real trouble for the same basic reason that the people in this story failed. We try to use natural solutions to supernatural problems. Friends, there are some things that only the grace of God can touch. There are some wounds that only God can heal. There are some problems to which only God is the solution. The power of evil is defeated by the power of the grace of God. Friends, we've got to be honest. We've got to be willing to acknowledge the real problem before we can then recognize the real solution. And that leads us to our second point this morning, the power of grace. First of all, the power of grace in this story. Um, You know, the story feels like it's full of the power of the enemy. You know, there's just crazy, devastating, strange things happening. And while that is very clear and very tangible in the story, I want you to consider something. If you think about every component of this story, you know, Jesus shows up in a boat, his disciples are there. We don't even really see them in the story, though. They're like, they're like non-named bystanders, um, bystanders watching this. We have Jesus, we have the disciples kind of there, but not really present in the story. We have this man and the demons that are ravaging his life. We've got pigs, we've got herdsmen, we've got townspeople in the distance who come running. Considering all of the characters in this story, who is actually in control? It's Jesus throughout. Three different times we see people begging Jesus to do something. We see the man who is possessed begging Jesus. We see the demons begging Jesus. And we even see the people in the countryside who know this man and have watched what have happened firsthand begging Jesus for something. Everyone in this story bends to the will 
and the authority of Jesus. Every one of them. The real power in this story is not the scary power of evil, though it's real and it's present and it's wreaking havoc. But the real power in this story is Jesus and the grace that he carries. Listen, the image of Jesus, he just fills up the pages of Mark. The other gospels as well, but we've been in Mark this week. He fills up the pages of Mark and his power is on full display. I want you to consider the fullness of his power and authority just from some of the stories from the gospel of Mark. We see physical healing. So just the ravages of the human body, Jesus has power over those things. And so he brings healing for people who've been blind, who are lame, who have diseases and sicknesses like leprosy. He heals them. He has power and authority over the physical body. He has power over nature. Jesus makes fish fill the nets of fishermen. He, he has trees who obey him and wither and die when he says so. We already saw, you know, I opened with kind of the context of this story. He's made the ocean, the sea, the wind and the waves obey him. Nature bows to his power and his authority. Jesus has power over death. He raises a young girl from the dead later in this actual chapter. Um, we also know that he raises Lazarus from the dead as the Gospel of John explores. And ultimately, Jesus himself rises from the grave. And so he has power over death. We already listed earlier the passages in Mark that show that Jesus has power over the spiritual world. He has power over demonic forces and influence. In fact, Paul tells us in Colossians that Jesus won ultimate victory over them at the cross, and he put them all to shame. And finally, friends, I love this. This is where we should find some real hope. In all these ways where Jesus has power and authority, in nature, in the spiritual realm, over death, over the physical body, one of the things that Jesus made perfectly clear is that it was within his power and his authority to forgive us. See, friends, for some of us, the problem isn't acknowledging that there's power at work in our lives that's wreaking havoc. We may not call it a demonic presence. Maybe it isn't specifically that a demon has possessed me in some way or is present in my life, but we all know what it means to wrestle with our demons. We all know what it means to be in stuck places crying out for freedom, longing for something to change. And friends, Jesus wants you to know and me to know that he has the power to forgive us. See, the enemy wants to convince us that it's all our fault. Because the truth is we have at times said yes. We've said yes to things that have sunk their hooks in us. We've, we've made agreements with things that we believe about ourselves or our circumstances or our struggles. And we've said yes to them. And friends, we need to understand that the power of grace is the power to be forgiven where we have agreed with things that are broken and wrong. Things that have wreaked havoc in our own lives and through us have harmed others. Jesus forgives. But friends, grace also sets us free from things that have gotten beyond our control, things that, that are strongholds in our life, chains that we long to see broken. Jesus can truly set us free of those things. And see, that's the beauty, not only of the power of grace, but the promise of grace. The power of grace, it's real and it's available. The question is, will we believe that this promise is for us? I want you to see this guy's response in Mark chapter 5, verse 6. All right, Jesus shows up and lands on the shore and we get the recap of how bad things are in this guy's life. And then in verse six, the encounter really begins. And so this man that was possessed by a demon, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? 
I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Friends, I want you to see this. It's so important. This guy is drawn to Jesus. He wants to believe that Jesus can and will help him. And so he's drawn to him. He recognizes who he is. You know, the demonic influence in his life, those demons, man, they knew that Jesus was the Son of God. And so he knew who Jesus was. He's drawn to him. But listen, he's uncertain of what Jesus will do. Notice that phrase, do not torment me. Now, is that the demon speaking? Or is that the man himself actually speaking? I don't know that we know the answer for sure. You can make arguments for either. I will just simply say this. When you are ravaged and stuck, the offer of grace can sometimes seem too good to be true. It can almost torment us, the idea that there's hope out there. But yet we can feel stuck and hopeless, and it almost feels a little too scary to believe that grace is available to me, that God is that good. Not only that he has the power to intervene, but that he has the desire to intervene in my life. I mean, think about this guy. He's got to wonder, would Jesus even want to help me? Everyone else has just tried to shut me out and lock me away and just, just, you know, put me in that hole, slam the door, lock it and throw away the key. They're done with me. Could Jesus, the Son of God, really even see and care and recognize me? Does He love me enough to do something about this? Or is He just here to torment me? Is grace this close? It's right here. I can almost taste it, but it's elusive. It's one of the big struggles of of our day, friends. One One of the struggles of our culture is grappling with, is there such a thing as real hope in this world? Um, in his famous book of Mice and Men, John Steinbeck, he grapples with ideas of, of loneliness. There's these glimpses of hope, but really there's a sense of hopelessness and loss. And he does this in a lot of his stories. And throughout this story, these two main characters, George and Lenny, there's like this ideal, this dream scenario, you know, of, of this perfect farm and they can just run it themselves and they can make some money off of it. And it's this reality that they long for, but it's a dream that's never going to be met. And there's even a sense in the story from the start that they're never really going to have it. It's out there, but it's not real. It's elusive. The devastating closing sequence of this story, it leads to this illusion of hope. I I won't tell the whole story right now, but as a man is about to die, he doesn't even realize he's about to die. His friend tells him to look off, Look across this creek and at this beautiful field and imagine this dream coming true that they've longed for for all these this time, all these years. Look at that dream. Consider it. Think about it. He's trying to comfort him with a picture of this dream. But ultimately, he's killed. Ultimately, he dies hopeless. You know, Steinbeck is kind of known for his honest look at harsh reality. You know, and many people try to say even the gospel itself, religion, Christianity, it's just some illusion of hope in a messed up world. Friends, that's not true. What is true is living in a messed up world, the, the message that is, that is given to, to us, the message that the world offers is that we just need to scrape by and get what we can while we struggle through the harsh reality of this life. But friends, I would make the case that that is actually the illusion. That is the hopeless lie. This world lies to us because it promises success that is ever elusive. For many of us, we just never get our hands on it. We're never quite there. We never quite obtain peace, freedom, happiness, satisfaction. And so many of us are just in the category our whole lives of the have-nots. But friends, just as devastating is the realization that many have had that when they do achieve success, when they have quote unquote arrived, that happiness and satisfaction is still elusive, that it was a mirage all along. And so both the haves and the have nots face the harsh reality of this life 
And often we pursue a hopeless lie that will leave us short. And because much of our lives is marked by that environment and that world, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he seems too good to be true. Friends, don't believe it. His grace is real. His grace is powerful in the midst of a dark and broken world, in the midst of our own bondage and struggles. His grace is powerful and it's real. And friends, He is available. He's available. Look at this. Look what happens in this story. In this story, this man decides in in absolutely hopeless odds, in a hopeless situation, he decides, even though it feels like I have no hope, I'm going to run towards Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, there's a glimmer of hope there. And so in verse 2, Jesus steps out of the boat. Immediately, he's met by this man. And this man's problem becomes Jesus' focus. It becomes his, his moment. He's immediately invested in helping this man. And the results speak for themselves. This, this ravaged man, life destroyed, rejected by others, Jesus shows up and takes an interest in his life and in his problems, and he frees him from what seems like insurmountable problems. He sets him free from literally thousands of problems that were overwhelming him. And the results land right here in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 15. When people have heard, wow, this guy that was possessed by demons, something crazy happened, this guy told the demons to leave, the pigs run off the cliff. So everybody comes and gathers to see what happened. And in verse 15 it says, And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Look at what Jesus has done for this guy. He's sitting. He's at peace. He's clothed. He's, he's secure. He's covered. And he's in a right mind. This word right mind, it's the same Greek word that Paul uses when he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. And he says this about our God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Same, same word, right mind. The same God that touched that man's life, Paul is now assuring Timothy, this is the same God available to each and every one of us. He's a God of power. He's a God of love. And he, he will put us in a place where we can be of right mind, clear thinking, healed, at peace, secure. God can set us free. God will set us free. And the peace he offers is no illusion. This is what Jesus was talking about when he promised in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. All right, friends, I want to start to move um, towards a close here, but I, I just I don't want to neglect kind of one final thing I want us to be aware of, one final thing I, I want to warn you about. And that's this. It's the power of fear. It's the power of fear. So we've talked about the power of evil. We've talked about the power of grace. Now we're talking about the power of fear. Um, Notice what happens at the end of this story. After Jesus has come, after he has worked powerfully and miraculously, notice the resistance of everyone else around this man. Mark 5, verses 14 through 16 The herdsmen fled, so they've just watched Jesus set this man free. They've watched the pigs run off the cliff. Mark 5, 14, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who'd had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind. And they celebrated with joy. They got happy and excited. They were relieved that this man was no longer going to torment them or torment himself. No, they were afraid. Verse 16, And those who had seen it described it to them and what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Friends, I believe there's, there's two 
reasons why these people feared in this story. Two clear reasons and, and honestly a third that we need to be careful of. All right, the first reason, they feared change. They, they couldn't wrap their head around the change that they just watched. They were used to this demonic guy with all of his problems. They were used to that. It was familiar territory. Even if it was bad, even if it was challenging to their community, they were used to it. They'd grown comfortable with the presence of this evil power. And so the risk of what change means was scary. What's going on here? They couldn't understand it. They couldn't explain it. This power was beyond their ability to control or understand. And so friends, listen, this is a real thing that happens. Many of us recognize the presence of evil and it needs to change. Many of us are even aware that the grace of God is available and powerful enough to, to bring change. We're just afraid of what that's going to mean. So many people are stay stuck. So many people remain stuck in places of, of bondage and strongholds because they can't face the unknown of change. I'm not sure what my life's going to look like after this. I'm not sure what the process is, what I might have to go through. And so we settle for the safety of living with our present demons instead of risking the goodness of what God has available for us if we're willing to change. Friends, don't let the fear of change keep you from the power of God's grace in your life. Let's not be so comfortable with our present demons that we're unwilling to grapple with the change that may need to come in order to bring healing and hope. Secondly, I believe they were afraid of loss. Not just change, but loss. Now you could argue change and loss have a lot in common, but very specifically, they were concerned about what had happened to the pigs. 2,000 pigs were lost that day. That's income. It's a lot of income. And so, yes, this man is healed, but we just lost all of this income. What about that? Friends, another reason that we are kept from experiencing the power of God's grace in our life is we're afraid of what it might cost us. I think this is especially real for those of us who see problems in the lives of others around us, problems in our community, but it's not in my house. And so we're not willing to grapple, or maybe it's not even grappling with the thought of what it might cost us. Maybe it's facing the reality that this might cost me something in order to see freedom show up. Friends, it's almost certain that healing and freedom are going to come with a cost. But the message of the gospel is that the cost is worth it. How much money, how many pigs is a man's life worth? Friends, we should be willing to face the loss. We should be willing to face the cost in order to see freedom and grace come. So I think those are the two big things that are kind of scaring people here. They're afraid of change. They're afraid of loss. And so ultimately, that leads to this, this fear. It's a fear of God. Now, I'm not talking about the healthy fear of God that the Bible talks about, about reverence and awe and respect. I'm talking about the fear of God that pushes God away. And so the story lands in verse 17. And the people began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. Jesus shows up. He does this miraculous work. And they, they just want out. I, I don't know what this means. I don't know what kind of change this is going to bring. I don't know what this might cost me. And so, God, your very presence here, that's scary to me. This feels like this might hurt me. This feels like this might bring about change I don't want to see. And so it would just be easier to push you away or hold you at arm's length. Friends, if you think this is only something that people who don't know Jesus can struggle with, Man, I don't know if you've really been honest with yourself about some of the fears we can face. But followers of Jesus can struggle with this same fear. At the end of the previous story, when Jesus calms the storm, His disciples in the boat, they're with Jesus. They live with Him. They walk with Him. They just saw Him calm this storm. 
And what's their reaction when he calms the storm? Are they joyful? Are they excited? No, they react the same way as the people in this story. Mark 4, 41. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Friends, my prayer for you and I is that our our eyes would be open to the power and the availability of God's grace to bring needed change, to set us free from the power of evil. And so friends, I just want to warn you, if there there is something in your heart, in your life, that, that knows, that's crying out to experience the grace of God, to be set free from a place where you're stuck or in bondage. Friends, I just, I just want to say to you as lovingly as I can, be aware of the desire in us to resist, to resist change, to be afraid of what it might cost us, or even to feel unsafe around God Himself, to be fearful of what His presence might mean. Instead, let's take courage from what we see in this man who was set free. I want to close with this. I want you to consider. We only know for sure that one person in this story was able to overcome the power of evil and fear, and he did it by experiencing the presence of Jesus. And so when did this man overcome evil and fear? Well, I want you to consider when did he see Jesus? The first two verses tell part of the story. And then verse 6 gives us a little more understanding. Check this out, the very beginning of the story. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now skip down to verse 6, referring to the man with the unclean spirit. And when he saw Jesus from afar... He ran and fell down before him. What's going on here? Is is Mark contradicting himself? It says when Jesus touched land, immediately the man was there. And then a couple verses later, it says when the man saw him afar off, he ran toward him. No, friends, there is no contradiction. I want you to consider when did the man first see Jesus? I believe with all of my heart that this man saw Jesus calming the storm. I believe that this man who is an outcast, living amongst the dead, living amongst the tombs, ravaged, hopeless, desperate, he sees this storm on the horizon and that physical representation of a very real storm, it resonates with the storm raging in his own heart. And he sees out there on the horizon a glimpse of this Jesus who speaks into that storm and says, there will be peace. Be still. And he calms the storm and he rescues those he loves. And this man dares to hope as he sees Jesus out there in the distance. And then he recognizes he's coming closer. He's drawing near. And he sets out and he runs from afar off and he meets Jesus. And when Jesus sets his feet on that man's shore, he's right there waiting on him. And with that bit of hope, that bit of faith that he could muster, he had a life-changing encounter with the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ, who through the power of his grace can calm any storm. He can defeat any power of evil. And He can set us free from the power of fear that would keep us from the freedom that He longs for us to have. Friends, if this story, and if the Jesus in these Gospels seems distant to you, I want to encourage you to look again. Run towards hope because the power and the presence of grace is near, and because Jesus is standing on your shore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as we close. God, I I ask you, Lord, would you speak to my own heart today? Would you speak into the hearts of my friends? 
God, would, would you help us to recognize places where maybe evil has become an all too familiar presence in our lives? God, whether, whether there's specific demonic spiritual influence in our lives or God, just some stuck places that we long to be set free from. God, I pray that by your grace and your power, we wouldn't be afraid or blind to acknowledge those problems. And God, may we believe in hope that you are good, that we don't need to hold you at arm's length, that we don't need to be afraid of change or what it might cost us. But God, we could believe that your grace is not an illusion, but it's an offer of real hope that lasts, that you truly are a God who brings freedom. And so friends, I just want to invite you, maybe even today, if you need to pause and acknowledge in your heart right now, Jesus called out and he said, what's your name? He told that evil power, make yourself known. He called it out. Friends, I would encourage you, if there's something there, name it. Not to me, but before Jesus who loves you, who's standing on your shore. Name that evil force. Name that evil power. And then, friends, be willing to look at your life and say, Jesus, no matter what change might need to come, no matter what this must cost me, what I might lose, God, I'm tired of holding you at arm's length. I choose to look to you and ask for help. And I choose to believe that you love me enough and you're powerful enough to set me free by your grace. Jesus, would you be faithful to do that work in our lives today? We receive it from you now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, friends. I love you. I'll see you soon. If you need to talk to somebody, we are here. Simplest thing you can do is go to our church website. You can send an email. There's a spot right on the main page where you can send an email. And someone would be happy to reach out to you to speak with you, to pray with you, to encourage you. Do that today if you need to. And friends, let's go forward experiencing the grace and the power of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen. We'll see you soon, friends.